0: Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jen White and I am here with Ellen Trackman. Say hi. hi. <laughs> hey. Thanks for joining um, us. Yes, we, we love it. We're sorry we've been a little sporadic over the summer, but it has been, well, summer and (laughs) (laughs) that's just the way it is we are hopeful as we get through the fall we're going to start getting uh, back to our regular consistency but we're glad we're here with you today um so ellen i have to admit that the question just has to be for you today because i am (laughs) absolutely embarrassed that my own answer is i have never been to canada i have never crossed that border why and you've lived so many other countries i i I don't know why. I just never have been to Canada. How If you <laughs> wanted to drive to Canada right now, how long would that take you?
0: A couple hours?
1: Uh, probably six or seven hours would be my mm-hmm. guess. Can, so it's I,
0: totally actually, doable. I don't even know if we can go to Canada right now. Can we? I don't, I don't
1: well, I think we can COVID. go to Canada. They can't come here I'm, is the direction it is. I don't know. I, I think our border was being opened that Americans could come into Canada, but... Canadians can't come but we did not reciprocally open the border that Canadians can come into the U.S. Wow sure is what I think the last thing I read a couple weeks ago was yeah so this may be completely out of date by the time people listen to it because you know these things also change on a minute by minute basis yes <laughs> so, that is very true um so theoretically yes I could go to Canada with a long drive um also i have an exchange student this year who's not allowed to travel internationally yeah, so right probably i'd have to leave him at home you know in the u.s so anyway so not for another year but have you been to canada that was my question yes. and that was my embarrassing um, answer to my own question
0: <laughs> i have been to canada a bunch of times canada's great i love canada um i, like, I want to see it it seems yeah, awesome we went to like uh, 15 years ago, went to Vancouver for fun and did like a 10 K race there. That was really fun. Um, we, with kids, we went to a wedding in Seattle once and then just like drove up to Canada for fun. Uh, I've definitely flown, like I've had, transfers in canada and i went to a conference a few years ago in quebec city which is super Oh, pretty. i remember that because so, you had the baby with you who you had to carry like yes oxygen and i took a young baby with me who was on oxygen and that was a that was a little bit more of a logistical nightmare than i expected to fly with oxygen
1: yeah but i forgot about in. that uh, yeah no Canada's yeah no i didn't been to a wedding in, in like bellingham washington which is way up north and i just you never were so close I was so close Mm -hmm. and yeah, I just haven't quite made it to Canada ever. Yeah. Well, you'll have to fix that when travel makes more sense. When travel is allowed again, I will definitely make sure I go see. We can do it together because I, there is so
0: much that I would love to still see. Um, Perfect. Oh no, I'm forgetting what it's called. I have this dream of one day going to, oh, Banff. I've never been to Banff and I like
1: dream of going to Banff one day. Okay. All so. right, it's a plan. So we're going to keep all of our listeners apprised as to our plans to go to Banff in the future. <laughs> One day. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a fantastic guest who is going to talk to us about surrogacy in Canada. Welcome, Alison Motluck, to the
0: show. Allison, thank you for coming. Do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Um, So I am a journalist uh, here in uh, Toronto, Canada, and uh, for many years now, maybe 15 or 20, I've been writing about assisted reproduction. And recently I started a weekly newsletter to write about it because I find that people who are interested in assisted reproduction are really interested in the (laughs) nitty gritty. (laughs) and, (laughs) And so not everyone is, but those of us interested in assisted reproduction are. So this and, was a place for those stories.
0: And as full disclosure, I've been following your writing for a while and love your your newsletter. And was one of those people that creepily was like, "Hey, Allison, I would love to connect. How are you?" <laughs> and <laughs> well, you finally so gave me your time. So.
2: No, I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, because it really <laughs> is a strange thing. Like I I can turn any conversation around. Uh, my husband used to joke, I can, I can any conversation uh, I can turn it into a conversation about egg donation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, That's I I, <laughs> I feel similarly because I used to be a hedge fund attorney, and I would always tell people, like, at parties, people would ask what you do, and like I could see their eyelids droop when I start talking about hedge funds. But assisted reproductive technology, those stories are good and they are interesting.
2: Yeah, and, and everything leads back to it one way or another. <laughs>
0: Um, so I didn't realize it was 15, 20 years. I didn't know it was that long. What was there like an initial story or a certain thing that got you started along this path?
2: Actually, I would say there was, I mean, I was, uh, I was a science journalist, uh, at the time when I started writing about this. So I started writing about this, the advances in uh, science and technology around assisted reproduction. But I would say, I mean, I can kind of pinpoint the moment I was, uh, really captivated. It was, uh, it, it, 2005, there was uh, the ASRM, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, had a meeting, a joint meeting, I think, with the Canadian Fertility and Andrology Society in Montreal. And I was standing in front of a poster that said, uh, donor, something like, you know, donor conceived offspring like to meet people who use the same donor. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> wh- what? Like, why would you want to? Uh, and, uh... <laughs> So I just followed that. It turned out that, you know, I I waited around till the person who'd written the poster came by and Mm -hmm. I found out there was a meeting the next week. And at the next next week's meeting, which was entirely about donor conception, which was completely new to me at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, Wendy Kramer announced that she knew of a young man who had found his anonymous sperm donor by spit and the internet. Genetic mm-hmm. testing in the internet—it was mm-hmm. the first ever. I know it's hard to believe it's now. It's hard to, it was, but well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she she didn't reveal who the young man was, okay. uh, but that I I wrote that story uh, for mm-hmm. New Scientist magazine in the UK, which is who I was working for at the time, and that just blew me away. And and it was a sensation, like it was a sensation at the time. I mean, it was the first ever, and it was suddenly everyone who thought they were anonymous mm-hmm. realized that that realized. was that yes. was done. Yeah. Uh and now of course we know that you know this is there is no such thing as anonymity anymore and regardless of what anyone any sperm bank might tell you it does not exist but I was around when it first was extinguished so that's what got me uh, after that it was I have gone uh, it, it, you know don't the donor conceived are the, some of the most fascinating people you will ever speak to but then I got very interested in egg donors, in surrogates. Uh, I'm very interested in sperm donors many years after they donate. And basically anyone, uh, anyone interested, anyone who's in this field, I'm interested in in them. Us too. (laughs) And I will throw it out there for our
0: listeners that we did an interview with Wendy Kramer, which is great. So we recommend you go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already.
2: She's wonderful.
0: Um, okay. So 15, 20 years. So a couple of things I was hoping to, to talk about and focus on is one, you're in Canada and we're in the United States and there are some real stark differences to the way assisted reproductive technology is viewed and regulated. Do you want to talk about kind of the big differences in Canada?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say there are two main differences, and they, and, and they coincide in what I think is one of the most interesting stories of, of these days. Uh, the first difference is that we have uh, a federal law that governs the entire country. Even though healthcare is provincial, there's a federal law that prohibits payment for uh, eggs, sperm, or surrogacy I, I would have to temper the language a bit it doesn't it prohibits you from paying someone to provide eggs provide sperm provide an embryo or provide surrogacy uh, so that's one big difference which I will talk a little bit about but another one is that we have of course universal health care and uh, that's also different yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> uh, universal health care, but I might as well just say up front uh, typically in this country does not include fertility care and so fertility care is one of the only, uh, areas of private medicine and, and people who who uh, use reproductive technology are sometimes, you know, apart from dentistry, you know, it's our first it's it's a person's first foray into private medicine. And so we're not really all that well equipped uh, Dentistry is private, too. We, we're a funny country.
1: <laughs> I, I would actually say, let's go the other way. I think the U.S. is a funny country in, in general. <laughs> Most every other country actually has you know, universal health care. It's actually hard for us to explain. I mean, yeah. I deal with a lot of people from overseas and things like that. It's hard to explain that concept that no, it's just not the same yeah. here. You know, we don't, you can't just go to a doctor you, if you don't have health insurance, well, you can if you don't have health insurance, but you're going to be paying completely differently. It's a very, very different concept.
2: Yeah. So those, in, I would say those are the two big differences. Um,
0: in the ban on payment, I've always viewed it as a little tricky where what I've heard, and you can tell me your impression and thoughts, is that, right, you can't pay a surrogate to be a surrogate, but you can reimburse living expenses, et cetera. And that, that that can often look very similar to what compensation looks like in places like the United
2: States. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, so that's, you know, that is the, the that that is the Canadian story, right? That in 2004, we brought in a law called the Assisted Human Reproduction Act. And, and one of the You know, it had these prohibitions and one, and as I said, the prohibitions on paying are one of them, I mean, not, not just small penalties, 10 years in prison, up to 10 years in prison and up to $500,000 in fines for, for, for paying a person to provide eggs, paying a person to provide sperm and so on. But they didn't uh, at the time bring in any regulations to, so what they did allow is they said, well, you can't pay anyone, but you can reimburse them for expenses but they didn't at the time bring in the regulations that explained what those expenses could be. So you can imagine, and these regulations came in about a, uh, a year and a half ago. So all those years with no regulations, you can imagine how people got creative about the, the idea of expenses. You know, expenses, what? Uh, a- anything you could imagine. Like, I know people who, who uh, the surrogate needed to drive to her appointments, right? So she needed a car. So that could be an so, expense. So they bought the car. Uh, in that or case, they her,
1: or they paid whoa. her car payment. At they least, paid right? the car.
2: They paid. I believe, if I recall correctly, they uh, they put the down payment on a used car and pay the car pay, paid oh. the car payments. Uh, you, my life is normal
0: here, but to buy a car, wow.
2: But I mean, it was open, right? It was anything because yeah. there was no uh, there was no regulation that stipulated what it could be. So people, you know, people varied, of course. Some people were like, "Oh no, I'm not going to do anything that isn't like really, really tightly related to the surrogacy." Of course, there were people like that, many people like that who didn't want to be found to be at risk of being charged of anything. But then there were people who would do everything, like all your groceries, all your, you know you your you telling you need to your, or, yeah, yeah exactly i mean you need a place to live right so 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 that's what happened there and then in the in the middle ground where you know people were like where where's our comfort zone they would i think i know actually a lot of people would write into the contract that they would have an expense you know we're going to cap the expenses they would say we'll cap the expenses so that you know in the first uh three months, you know, you can get a thousand, a maximum of a thousand dollars per month in expenses. And then in the, in the second three months, you might have a maximum of $2,000 per month in expenses. And then all they would, but they weren't expenses, really, it was really a payment schedule. And, and I know of couples who uh, paid that out. And then on top of that, they paid the real expenses, because of course, there are real expenses, you know, a surrogate, a surrogate does need to get to an appointment, a surrogate, uh you know does need to sometimes take a day off work and so on so it's a mess it it, it was and i would say continues to be yeah. something of a mess yeah did the
0: regulations fix that
2: the regulations did stipulate much more clearly uh what would and would not be allowed um We're sort of still, because it wasn't that long ago, we're still kind of waiting to see how's that going to shake down. Did it change behavior? Is anybody monitoring it? Like who's checking? Right.
1: Who's
0: the enforcement authority in case? And even before, wasn't there like one case where someone was charged with violating the law? There has
2: been one conviction in all of these years. And it was uh, the conviction was against the owner of a surrogacy agency and she was charged, I don't remember how many surrogates, how many egg donors. I, th- I think it might have been three or four. I, I don't remember actually, but she was charged with several counts of paying outright money to an egg donor without using receipts or having it be correlated to expenses mm. and paying outright to surrogates. Uh, and also, she was, uh, I believe there was a charge involved with uh, something that took place in the United States, which was. Uh, a baby selling scandal on the West coast where Ugh. you recall, um, you recall that. So there was, oh yes. a, there was a, she had uh, connected two oh. or three Canadian parents to clients of that particular lawyer. So those, those charges were all rolled together. And, I didn't know that
0: was connected. Yeah. And I will do one other plug for another podcast. I was say we another did. Plug here. <laughs> <laughs> We did an interview with Kim Surratt where she worked with the FBI and, like, wiretapping to help bring down this terrible baby-selling ring. So that's also a great episode to listen to. That's
2: I right. want to listen to that one. I'm going to listen to that one. <laughs>
0: but back to this Canadian um, who was charged
2: and yes. convicted. So
1: did she do time for it? Did she? No. What, what happened there?
2: Well, it's a great story, actually, because, uh, first of all, you'd think this would be a huge case. Like, this is a, you know, this law, before this law came into force, they did four years of... Uh, a royal commission asking Canadians what they felt about reproductive technology and everything. You'd mm-hmm. think that the first conviction would get some attention, but I was in the courtroom that day when she pled guilty, yeah. and there was only me and one other journalist, and, oh. and neither of us were really reporting it as a news story. We were both on longer stories. It got almost no coverage at the time. Well, um, and I will and-
0: know, I, I think we, Jen, you and I, we saw her in person. I think she was speaking at the conference where I think you're with me in Chicago and she was talking about Canadian law. I think it was a men having babies conference. Yeah,
2: probably. And
0: I think it came up and I think it was just very really like, Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like it was nothing. I was like, wait, yeah. what?
2: <laughs> she paid a fine. Um, and she told me I interviewed, I've interviewed her many times. We have, uh, you know, uh, we, we talk often enough. Uh, and I know yeah. I interviewed her after that and she said, in fact, business was doing great. So business, business yeah, had gone and that was the impression
0: that. I got that it, it meant nothing.
2: It meant nothing to her business. like her business is doing very, very well. So yes, it had I mean that so there ha, there, there is no appetite to convict. and I mean you can take a position whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, many of us are sort of stuck thinking, well, if you have a law, you should enforce it. If you think the law is not worth enforcing, maybe we shouldn't have the law. But but we are we are stuck in this place where we have this law, and there's no appetite to really that we can see to to make it work. And you know many of us are asking why why do we have it? Um, so yes, despite the fear that people have, there have not been convictions. For instance, no parent has been convicted for paying a surrogate or an egg donor money.
0: And given that lack of appetite to convict anyone who, breaches the law I mean do people follow it
2: well you know what they follow it people following it follow it in varying degrees but I think it uh uh you know it it be it changes behavior of people and and not for the better I think so you know you can imagine egg donors are are nervous when they take money sometimes even though it's not a crime to take the money it's only a time it's only a crime to pay the money but nonetheless they're nervous parents are nervous parents who are paying uh you know uh, intended parents who are paying surrogates somehow anything really any kind of cash or gifts or anything are are nervous about it and some of them refuse to do their surrogacy here in the country and they'll leave because it's more straightforward to do it outside the country
1: i have heard that
2: I think that really drives a lot of people to, to leave the country for surrogacy, to leave the country for egg donation. Um, also, we have this weird thing. It's truly weird. We Almost all the sperm in Canada comes from elsewhere, most of it from the U.S. Hmm. All of the U.S. sperm donors are paid. Our, our people pay for the sperm here. Right. <laughs> That's legal, but,
1: but you're technically
2: not allowed to pay a sperm donor. So, so similarly you pay
1: for the sperm but you can't pay for Canadian sperm basically. <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's right.
2: Or eggs. You know, now that we can freeze eggs, the same is happening with eggs. And, and and so you know, you just have to shake your head uh and wonder like what is it that the law is trying to achieve and is it at all a- achieving that, you know? Um, I mean, is a
0: fascinating um thing of like eugenics caused by I don't know. Like, there's less Canadians in the world
1: now. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, well, no.
2: <laughs> okay, so that that's the interesting thing. Well, maybe that's true for ge- genetically. There's less. There's right. uh, fewer Canadians, but there's probably more um, uh, more Canadian, uh, citizens. C- Canadian yeah. citizens and Canadian surrogate, uh, surrogates than you know than you might guess by mm-hmm. looking at our population. So that's I think where the two inter- the two things about Canadian uh, Canada that's different. That they come together when you look at how Canada has become in the last couple of years a real magnet for international surrogacy, because on the one hand we have this prohibition on payment, which makes Canadian couples, you know, reluctant to do it here and maybe more likely to do it somewhere else. Uh, it's not a prohibition that we that we enforce if you, you know, pay it outside the country or you are a foreigner. Like it's, right. you know, it, so if you're a foreigner coming here. You can I, you could technically pay your surrogate. So if you're a, s- a strange seen, result. Right? Yeah. And I've
1: definitely seen people encouraging Americans to go to Canada. Of course. For surrogate because they're like, but it's it'd be cheaper for you. And, you know, that, uh, the interesting also, the other side of that I've seen is a very I, I sit and lurk in a lot of Facebook groups just to see what's going on in the surrogacy world. And there's an interesting dynamic between American surrogates and Canadian
2: surrogates. Oh, what's Um, that? Tell me about that. And
1: just the almost resentment towards the, the Canadians come in with a very... Canadian surrogates come in and say, well, we don't get paid. And then a very bristled resentment from American surrogates who go, well, you do, you just get paid these expenses and it is essentially equivalent to what we're getting paid. And so it's a very... Uh, I, I find it fascinating to watch them bristle back and forth at each other about what, I mean, we see it as essentially an equivalence in, in our eyes because of course you're getting compensated. It's just laid semantics. out in a different way. It's well, but it feels,
2: it. it feels different. I mean, first of all, there are some women and I have interviewed a few who do not get paid. I have sure. cer- certainly there are interviewed- some in the
1: United States. Too, That's absolutely. right. Yeah. We won't yeah. Stick with yeah. yeah.
2: So but I think it feels different because you're not allowed to.
1: Yeah. And, and no, I, it's just an you know, interesting bristling back and forth between them. <laughs>
2: that's interesting. Yeah. 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 And I mean, there's a little bit of bristling going on here too, with when you know people are like, you know, I don't get paid well, and I, well, I, you know, I got expenses of X amount, and so I mean, I think there is, it is an interesting and strange dynamic, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, but when truly, I mean, they're all at the heart are doing it for the same reasons. They want to help a family. It's just a matter of the semantics of how people are being compensated for it most of the time.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think people have varied motivations for why they want to do it. And they're, I'm sure the, they vary as much in the U.S. as they do here. Everyone's different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for some people, it is it is absolutely one hundred percent. I just want to help this person, this family, to have a child. And for right. others, it's that plus I have I have some financial need, among other reasons. There are many reasons. Sure. But uh, but I think what's interesting about uh, Canada again, I mean, I, I what I thought where I thought you were going to go with that is the is the idea that you know our our surrogates, of course. Um, because they're Canadian, by and large, they're Canadian citizens and have access to pregnancy care through universal yes, health care. That is, huge. and so yeah. that for a for a for an international uh, inter- intended parent, you know, that's a, a yeah. wonderful thing, right? So first of all, we we are a pretty healthy nation to start with because we do have. Healthcare, by and large uh and then you put on this that you know a canadian woman who's pregnant even if she's pregnant for someone else is going to have pregnancy care and birth care you know that's that's a a lot of money yeah and so So that that
1: does make a big difference
2: yeah and i think so that that again that those two dovetail to make canada this you know perfect place well actually there's a third thing too and that is that we don't have restrictions on who can be uh who can use surrogacy so we don't say oh you have to be married or you have to be heterosexual Mm. or uh uh, you know whatever it's it's people who want to pursue this are allowed to pursue it and and so there are so many nations around the world where that's not the case
1: right
2: canada allows international surrogating and allows it for it allows it for it for anyone
0: and that, of course, varies state to state here in the United States. Um, does, it, is it, does it even work for the intended parents not being genetically related to the child?
2: I don't so, think, I don't know of any law that says you can't be. Now, it might be a problem for them to return to their home country. But in terms of, you know, uh, creating a family with children who are not biologically related to you, I don't think there's any... Any restrictions on that?
0: Yeah. Wow. I. And does it make a difference between tradi- what they call traditional or genetic surrogacy versus gestational?
2: Yeah, let me think. Uh, I know that we have less traditional surrogacy than we used to. Well, I shouldn't say that. That might be ticking up again. <laughs> um, no, but uh, uh, mostly when I talk, I'm talking about gestational surrogacy. Sure, uh, but us I, too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I maybe I, kn- I don't know enough about traditional surrogacy to to really speak about it. But uh, but I have heard actually that in the province of Ontario, there's more of it now than there was five years ago.
0: Interesting. And just for listeners who aren't familiar, genetic surrogacy, of course, is when the just gesta- when not gestational, when the surrogate is genetically related to the child. So generally, the pregnancy happens by IUI or insemination
2: versus that would be traditional surrogacy. Yes, right.
0: traditional, but also called genetic surrogacy um, versus gestational. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I've been hearing this term that they've been trying to move it from traditional to call it genetic surrogacy. So, I try to just use both. Okay. Versus gestational surrogacy, where, of course, the surrogate is not genetically related to the child and the pregnancy happens through IVF and embryo transfer to her uterus. Right. Um, Interesting, just because it varies so much in the United States, state to state, where many states um, don't permit traditional or genetic surrogacy. So, for example, New York, which outlawed compensated surrogacy for 30 years and just changed that February 15th,
1: 2021.
0: Mm-hmm. They now allow compensated gestational surrogacy, but um I believe traditional slash genetic surrogacy is still criminalized. Huh.
2: But it certainly wasn't included in the law. That's right. Yeah. Yes, right. Right. Interesting. Um
0: Okay. Well, go Canada. <laughs> Definitely some differences. I would, while we have you, I'd also love just 15 years of reporting plus um, in this area, what have been kind of the the head scratchers or the, the stories that you tell at parties and really wow people? <laughs> like what, how did that happen?
2: Well, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Some of them are kind of long, long stories. So, I but I mean, I, I, one of the, one of the, best stories I feel that I ever had the, the opportunity to tell was an American story uh, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I did a radio show about this and uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. It was a woman who had agreed to become a, a surrogate and she, uh, her intended parents were from uh, China and she had an uneventful pregnancy. She had two children of her own already. Gave birth, and upon the birth of her
0: children. Yes, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Upon
2: upon the birth of her children, uh, or on the upon the birth of the children, uh, the intended parents started to notice they didn't look alike. And uh, they were still in the country, and in order to go back to uh, China, actually, they had to do genetic testing, and that's when they discovered definitively that they were one child was not related to. The intended parents, and they started to wonder if it was if that child was related to the surrogate, uh, and in fact, the child was. So th- that surrogate carried in her womb a child who had been created through this embryo, and also one that was naturally conceived alongside it. And it's just a great story. They were wonderful. I mean, to me, it was them. They 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 were two amazing uh they described their story and i think to this day i could be wrong but certainly at least a year after that event they did not have full parentage of their own child because wow. of the way so that child was born which did, side
1: who did you talk you to? interviewed the intended parents
2: i talked no i talked to uh to the um the surrogate and her and her husband oh, who were well, we, who were so they just, I mean, it's maybe the favorite, my favorite documentary that oh. I made, that I of mine, you know, because well, they told their story so well.
0: We would love to hear that, and we'd love to link to it so that uh, listeners can yeah. hear. It. Is it sure? Is that available still? If, if it's okay.
2: if it's not online, I have it, but uh, and I can give you a copy of it to upload okay. or something. But well, we'd love to listen and link it for our I, listeners. it was, you know, after that story, I in my newsletter I wrote about the fact I found some papers that this is not that uncommon that you can conceive a child alongside during IVF and so it could well be that there are other surrogates who have given birth to their own children and not known it I mean in this case it was more obvious because first of all the, the children had to be genetically tested in order to go home and get their passports and go home but also they were they were different races, right? The the, uh, the child who was uh, related to the intended parents was was Asian, and the child in uh, the who was related to the surrogate was uh, her, the dad was black and the mum was white. So they yeah. they also did not. So we had two ways to find out. But in other children, it might not be so easy. And so it's possible that there is a child or two. That's who,
0: really interesting. And I will say anecdotally, I've heard another story that would support that theory of how it'd being more common, where I think we were talking to an embryologist and he told this story about, um, and I might get the genders reversed in this, but they transferred a female embryo. And during the ultrasound, the parents were shocked. This was not a surrogacy, it was just a regular IVF, but the parents were, were absolutely shocked that it was a boy and they were, confused and were worried that the clinic had transferred the wrong embryo because they only had girl embryos and like really concerned that they were carrying someone else's child. And ultimately after the baby was born, they did genetic testing and it was sure enough their baby. And they're pretty convinced that the embryo transfer likely failed and they huh. conceived around the same time. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, it just, it raises interesting questions. I mean, I think this is why I'm drawn to this field is that, yeah. It every day raises interesting questions. Uh,
1: yeah. well, I, I and feel then, like I learn something new every day. Yeah. And the, the Jessica
2: Allen, that
0: superfetation, which the the yeah. word I learned um, yes. about becoming pregnant while being pregnant um, case, legally has been really fascinating to me. It's definitely something I've written on a mul- multiple times because she brought a lawsuit against the agency. Yep. And then the agency... Counter sued her. And I think yep. that's still ongoing, still going, right? But yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much she talks about in her in the interview with you. But it looked I mean, reading her, her complaint, it was heartbreaking, where heartbreaking, they had her baby, and demanded money that she didn't have to say, yep. if you don't pay us this money, you owe us because we paid you for carrying twins, and one of them wasn't yours. And you were not owed that money. If you don't pay us this money, then we won't give you your child which ultimately they relented on, but even reading some of the details. And again, this is her complaint. So I don't know how much is true or not, but her allegations that, um, I said, okay, we agree, but we're not meeting with you tomorrow. I we're busy. So yeah. maybe the next day, like what, this is, this is a child. We're not like dropping off
2: some mail. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, she does talk about that. And it, and again, I, I, I mean, I, they, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, but, uh, Yeah, I mean, I think there, I mean, of course, there are many, many, many happy stories as well, which, you know, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to also tell stories that go against what I might have expected. Like one of the beautiful things about doing this for so many years, I, there are people I interviewed 10 years ago, and sometimes I just think, huh, I wonder how that turned out. So there was one case where I interviewed, I was interviewing loads of egg donors for a story I was doing. uh, And uh, one of them was a woman who was donating to her sister. But she was, it was very fraught. She felt pressured. She felt that her sister's marriage wasn't very strong. She felt, she felt very conflicted. She felt like the, her sister's husband was not going to ever let her see this child who was her, who would be the biological, you know, child of hers, but who would technically be her niece. And about 10 years later, I, I just found, I tracked her down. I said, Hey, I I really want to know, like, how did that all work out? You know? And it was great. Cause she was like, Oh, it's wonderful. Um, you know, cause I also wondered if she would ever have children. She hadn't had her own children yet. She said, Oh no, it's wonderful. A couple of years after that, I had a daughter and our two, the, our two daughters are like best friends. And my sister and I, we travel together. It's like the best thing ever. And I'm like, that's not what I expected, but yeah. that's great. <laughs> you were worried about something and then you were wrong. So it was fine. And I was wrong. So <laughs> no, it was great. I mean, you know, uh, so I, I also, I do like tracking. I like to go back and find out how do, how is this going? And, uh, yeah. I, because I never throw anything away. I have, you know, I have all my notes from forever. Um, yeah. so I, I, I do like that. I, I like to see how things are going. Yeah.
0: Um, well, do you have maybe one more that really like comes to the top of fascinating stories? Um, I mean, choose, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's funny, right? It, so I guess uh, I mean, my 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 maybe the most in-depth story I ever wrote was about a surrogate who, uh, uh, it, I, and I will say from her point of view, the favor she did me was she gave me access to all her emails, all her records everything all her medical notes everything right. and so I really got a great picture of what what happened but it was a case where uh, uh, a, a couple uh, met her online to some online surrogacy arrangement thing and they and they uh, contracted with her to uh, carry their child and the surrogate did not get legal advice The surrogate was not a Canadian citizen. The surrogate had no uh, access to Canadian health care. The surrogate didn't know her rights in terms of, uh, so this particular couple wanted four embryos transferred. And even though the surrogate... uh, How uh, long ago was this? This was about 11 years ago. Okay. She was, you know, I can see from the email, you know, oh, I don't like the idea of twins. Like how likely do you think that is? And the mother's like, you know what? This is our decision. Not, uh, not yours so anyway she did end up of course getting four embryos transferred and four fetuses developed wow. and uh, and actually one of the poignant things was she was in uh she was in a doctor's office so she had the transfer done in in the U.S. but she was uh surrogate in Canada and her doctor in Canada who confirmed the four fetuses were developing just wonderfully he turned to her and he said how could you let them do this to you wow. and, she, and she says I felt like an idiot you know and but it wasn't her fault because she hadn't been given legal advice. In fact, she'd been offered a deal. The parents said, hey, how about we let's not go with the legal advice because it'll take too long. We'll, we'll just pay you the amount we would have paid, half of the amount we would have paid the lawyer. And, we'll, you know. um, and oh so gosh. it was heartbreaking from start to finish. I think that I don't think the, I think the parents, honestly, to be fair, uh, they didn't uh, participate in the article. But I, I think just from the email, I think that they they had gone through a lot of hardship themselves. They've been through a lot of traumatic experiences, they wanted children, and I don't believe they were acting in bad faith. However, you know, when your eyes on the goal of the baby, and you forget that the that the surrogate is is a person you know so that right. to me the the hardest part of the story was when the, the woman um gets very very severe preeclampsia and is forced mm-hmm. to go to hospital the the intended mother tells her don't go to hospital because you don't have insurance you're not insured right now it's too expensive <sighs> but her surrogate friends told you're her fine. like no you have to go you could die or you'll yeah. die yeah right. and in fact the babies were delivered within a day of arriving at the hospital and oh, uh, hell, early of course how far was she 28 weeks and uh and it was an you know it's an unhappy story because i mean it's a happy story in that the the family got two two children but but it's an unhappy story in that they never really spoke again uh they never you know it both sides feel aggrieved and uh it was uh it's a you know it's just a reminder everyone is it, it, these are complex situations these yeah. are very very complex so situations with a lot a lot of emotion riding on them mm-hmm. and uh, i think probably probably more help along the way on on all sides would be good like i wish i wish there was an independent surrogacy advisory service you know someone not tied to any not tied to the industry not tied yeah. to parents not tied not paid yeah. paid paid by the canadian government you know Mm-hmm. The surrogacy is a thing that happens here in, and and here's a an independent advisory service
0: i mean that um, makes sense like we as lawyers have that where if there's an ethics question we can call our state bar and get advice so and i
2: but... i wish that was available to surrogates um because i think it's complicated
0: oh wow that does sound a like... A very traumatic story and um if you're so willing we would love to link your article for that story as sure, well. sure
2: yeah I'll, i'm happy to send you links to any of the things we discussed today that's a really long article i have to say but, well, but uh, i'm sure some people will be interested
1: I, I say I, it has a lot of important emotion and things tied into it too though yeah,
2: yeah. and and i will say again like it was a very it was uh, i think what makes a good story in in the field for <laughs> me anyway is when i uh when i i have access to a lot of the detail it's not Absolutely. generalizations there are specifics yes. And, uh, and that helps tell the story as accurately as possible. Definitely. So I do want to raise
0: one other um, story that came up recently. So one thing I've been following that just kind of horrifies me and I think the rest of the world is how many doctors were using yeah. their own sperm. So men doctors, obviously, um, were using their own sperm with their patients without their knowledge. And there's been, you know, there's, we've seen cases in Europe, we've seen case after case of American doctor who did this. And there was indeed a, at least one Canadian doctor who did as well. And I was recently excited to see that there was a very large, I forget the number, now—maybe maybe 15 million settlement, 13 13 13 million million settlement where he was going to pay out money for helping the children do DNA testing and find was genetically connected to them and to pay some sort of damages and of course it doesn't make anyone whole but at least it's some kind of acknowledgement that this behavior was wrong well in the united well, actually,
2: states I, I don't well he, that. Didn't, he, he didn't he didn't acknowledge admit it, but... any wrongdoing and he's mm-hmm. not paying it out it's uh to be honest it's the uh the uh really it's taxpayers <laughs> taxpayers are paying it out because we yeah. because of the way doctors are insured in this country uh we pay we pay the bulk of their insurance for them through our taxes, and so the taxpayers of Ontario are paying for his wrongdoing um okay, well, let
0: me put it this way that there is some <laughs> legal system or some system that is acknowledging that this is wrong by in in terms of there being the settlement by contrast, in the United states where we've seen so many of these cases and there's no, there's no settlement. There's no, I mean, not, I'm sure it's not all the case. I'm sure there's undisclosed settlements that happen, but generally there's very little, um, consequences for the doctor or, um, reward or i mean award of damages in uh, uh, any sort but, but to you victims. have created
2: laws you you actually have some states that uh in the time since i started reporting in this now we do yeah but we don't right yeah. you guys in it's all in the same time period because i remember yeah. when the uh there, there was a case that came up around the same time as barwin as i was reporting it in 2016 and at that time there weren't laws against this. And, and now you do have laws. Mm-hmm. And we have none, and we haven't even spoken about them. So it's not illegal at this point. As far as I know, in any province in, on, in Canada, it's not illegal for a doctor to uh, use his own sperm to inseminate a patient and not bother to tell her. I find that unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but there must be some belief that there was something at
0: least wrong or unethical or illegal to, to have such a large settlement, right?
2: I, I, no. mean, <laughs> I was like, about, On what
1: basis do they make the settlement? Right, I guess is the right. question. Yeah. H- how about
2: ba- how about we make it? How about we make it really really clear that it's a it's a thing you can't do and that you'll go to jail for doing yes. it. Yes. No, no. I'm would, I'm 100
0: in agreement with that. I'm just you know at least happy to see that there is some some acknowledgement in the form of this large amount of money that we I
2: haven't seen too. here. <laughs> I'm happy to see it. I mean it it, uh, it was certified a couple of weeks ago and the proposed settlement made. be agreed uh later this year uh i I suspect it will be agreed um but yeah kind of i mean it's a what's interesting to me is how many doctors we are now finding out how many doctors (sighs) felt that was okay
0: it's like not even a story anymore which i probably you probably feel someone else (laughs) comes out that they find out that their mom's fertility doctor is their dad and you're like yep we've done that that's that's everyone else right yeah terrible
2: yeah so yeah, very very interesting. I mean, who knew? So it goes going back to you know where we started, which is the the uh, young boy finding his anonymous donor. Who knew that yeah. how easy it would be to yeah. to track down uh, you know your progenitors? And here we yeah. are. You know, I, I've over the years spoken to so many donor conceived people who did not know who their biological parents were, and almost to a person now have found it have found yeah. who those people were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We went to a conference uh, a couple of years ago and somebody from ancestry.com spoke and said that basically all you have to, your fifth cousin or something like that is all you have to have to be able to track down who your parents are. And,
2: right. and yes, and with we're going to have a DNA specialist come on soon
1: too. Yes. And, but with the number of people who are submitting DNA tests, you know, it, the likelihood of your fifth cousin having submitted DNA is amazingly likely or hundreds of your fifth cousins (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) have you reported on any large group or talked to any large groupings of siblings
2: that Uh, have found each other uh i'd like to say yes although i've spoken more generally about them i've written about them generally that uh well and i mean there's so again going back to the idea that there are almost no sperm donors in canada who are who are donating in Canada that has meant that the ones who have donated have donated a lot and a lot of people have used them and so there is a worry we have a couple you know there were times when we had 35 donors in the entire country you can imagine that there are a lot of offspring yeah. uh, walking around so so i have not written a specific story that i remember i mean i wrote about a few people who discovered how many they had um, and were, you know, how difficult it was to be, to form relationships with all of them, how the men, you know, I've written about the men who discover this and, and feel that that wasn't what they signed up for. They'd signed up for 10 to 15 and then they somehow discovered, you know, there must be hundreds. Oh, and of course I've interviewed, um, Barry Stevens who, uh, you know, he was a a different generation of, uh, sperm donor offspring, you know, but, figures that he probably has 500 siblings out there you know wow Wow. um and has found many of them already but it was uh yeah it's it's that's another very interesting story i mean from from my point of view i'm very interested in how it feels as a member of that family to form these relationships with your Siblings. The first ten are like so exciting, and then the ninety yeah. fifth is, you know, right.
1: it has to be a little bit bogged um, down by that point. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: So yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, but we're again, we're not doing anything about that, are we? We're not. We're not tracking that even now. And in fact, with this independent sperm donors, right, the ones on Facebook, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see this problem get even bigger.
0: Yeah, I mean, we had an episode a couple weeks ago where. <laughs> Um, our guest talked about how she found out her son has over 800 half siblings. Thanks to a donor like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So this, this problem is, uh, or this issue is going to be with us for a while. Yeah. Yeah absolutely
0: so much well this has been absolutely fascinating um i hope you'll be interested in coming on again we will definitely be interested in linking to all of your stories so people can see that and encourage everyone to subscribe to your newsletter and
2: follow which i will name i forgot to name it it's heyreprotect.com. yes <laughs> hey hey Reprotect. Reprotect newsletter yeah
0: yes um, and we'll link to that as well so you do such thank a you. great job covering these stories and i i know i personally am excited to to continue to read
2: your work thank you it's been a, a great pleasure to talk to you
0: thank you allison for sharing such fascinating stories and your expertise as a journalist in this area for so many years and we hope to have you on like a
1: yeah I feel like that one led to like a lot of rabbit holes like so so many stories our episode I'm like now there's like 85 things that people need to go listen to I
0: know it's true so we will so check out those links and follow false Allison Motluck's hey repro tech newsletter because she's got some good stuff
1: Yes. And I mean, hopefully you guys think that we have good stuff. And if so, please, please go on to iTunes and give us a little rating. Uh, we, we always love five star ratings, but you know, we'll, we'll take whatever people give to us. It's totally fine. Um, also, don't forget that we if you go to our website, I want to put a baby in you.com. We do have fun merchandise. Uh, I still, it's a point of conversation all the time. If I'm wearing my, I want to put a baby in you" shirt, you know, people mm-hmm. giggle and point at me and maybe it's because of my shirt. Maybe it's because it's me. I don't know. But and If you haven't noticed, uh,
0: it has our logo on it, which is a sperm with headphones on. So that's always fun. Yes.
1: Yes. So please go check that out. Um, you know, get, get some, if you want some, no pressure at all, you know, we're, we're not going to starve if you don't, but, but we, we like it cause it's fun and we want to spread fun and joy in our lives. So, um, and, a huge thank you to those who spread fun and joy in our lives and make, make us awesome here. Thanks to Amanda, to Tyler, to who's out still on uh, paternity leave, um, but to Melissa on Ellen's team, who is capably stepping in and helping us all out all around. Uh, and of course, to Chris at at Bridge Studios. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you soon.